Almost. 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 Major. 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 Holy fucking shit, this is major! Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Almost Major, where we talk about the many major studios and the films they released. We are still on our 1980s New Line miniseries. My name is Kevin Tudor. I'm here with Charlie Nash. Hello. And Bryden Doyle. Hello. And joining us again is our super special guest returning from, it was, what was it, what was it that we had you on? It was Affliction and... Frailty. Frailty. Frailty, Frailty. yes. It is Michelle O'Connell. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. We're going to be talking about some hair and some metal today. We're going to be talking about some poison and a bunch of... I need to find the list where they go through all the band names of, like, all the ones that, like, don't exist that are fucking phenomenal. Wet Cherry was one of them that stuck out. Sex is another one. Ah, okay. That's what it says on the tin, I guess. The guy from Wet Cherry has one of the most memorable interviews throughout the whole thing. Yeah. All names that are like impossible to Google nowadays. No, mom, I, think, I was looking at Sex the Band. I'm sorry. I yeah. think one of them might have made it. Uh, the the one uh, that was led by a woman, Vixen. Um, I believe mm. they became an actual like sort of kind of known band, but That's I, cool. I don't know that much about them. I don't think they actually got that big. Right. Yeah. I should probably introduce the movie we're talking about. People are like, what is this? I clicked on this and didn't know what we're talking about. Uh, We're talking about the decline of Western civilization part two, colon, the metal years from 1988. This was released in LA, June 3rd, 1988, uh, New York in June on June 17th, 1988, uh, screened at TIFF September, 1988. Uh, Budget was $500,000. Opening weekend made $45,000 and a domestic and overall gross of $373,000. Um, I'm going for the week that it released in L.A., so June 3rd. Top five films that weekend. Crocodile Dundee 2, Big, Rambo 3, Funny Farm, and Willow. What the fuck is Funny Farm? (laughs) Chevy Chase movie? Yeah, it's Chevy Chase. It's the last George Roy Hill film, if I recall. Um, my, My mom loves it. It is fine. (laughs) Uh, i've seen big that's about it yeah i I saw willow growing up and i find that to be a really dour movie like it's just i don't know i guess i understand it's a cult classic appeal but eh. it's certainly no funny farm (laughs) that's true that's true number one song in the u.s this week is one more try by george michael and number one song in canada this week are is beds are burning by midnight oil um yeah I've heard that, I think, on Canadian radio before. Yeah. Okay. But what was the biggest hair metal song of the week? (laughs) Good question. Ah, shit. I don't know if it went number one, but I'm sure it was uh, Poison something or another. How? What is Poison's biggest song? Okay, now. now, uh, No, it's definitely Every Rose Has It. Rose Has It. And I think that went to number one. It was. Okay. Uh, now we're probably going to already have people screaming at whatever <laughs> device they're listening to this on, but is, didn't Appetite for Destruction come out in 88, and do you consider Guns N' Roses to be 87? Shit, okay. Uh, do you consider Guns N' Roses hair metal? Well, no, I would... I mean, they're part of... They came from the same scene, but the tone and their influences and, and their sound just all... It, it it just sounds very different from the very carefree attitude of a lot yeah. of hair metal. 
Although the falsetto sort of vocals of Axl Rose do, you do sort of hear people in the movie, in this movie at least, who I think like they sound like, it's like, ah, it sounds like you're kind of doing Axl Rose and everything. Sure, but that didn't start with with Axl Rose. Like that's very much a staple of 70s rock vocals uh, that all of these people grew up uh, dreaming to be and are basically clones of in in many ways uh, when we're seeing them here. Yeah. (laughs) I feel I feel bad that I didn't do research on this, but I, I weren't you also tweeting today about like uh, Michelle about how like Gun- weren't Guns N' Roses supposed to be featured in this doc, but like then like that just like they weren't able to or something. Yeah, like- I I think they pulled out at some point, and um, it was decided that either Megadeth would replace them, or maybe it was one of the other bands that weren't going to make it. Um, gotcha. But it was the band Seduce that was filled in. Mm. Uh, all right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, she she said that uh, Penelope Spheris, that is, I believe she said that she wanted to close it with Guns N' Roses, which would have been um, interesting. It would have been thematically appropriate, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it goes without saying that Axl Rose is a piece of shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? No. Well, well, yes. And and also um, as the band that has has a little more staying power than a lot of the groups mm-hmm. that end up uh, hitting the charts or not hitting the charts that are featured here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm seeing here that Every Rose Has a Sworn went number one December 24th, 1988. So we were a few months off. But right. yeah, this list poison as glam metal. Now, I could not tell you the difference between hair metal and glam metal or if hair metal is just another way to say glam metal. But um, yeah. Uh, where are we at? Uh, plot description from Google. Penelope Ferris takes a look at heavy metal music and how it has evolved over time. She deci- dissects music from Alice Cooper, Poison, Aerosmith, and Kiss. Okay. Directed by Penelope Spheris. Prior to this, The Decline of Western Civilization, 1981. Suburbia, 1983. The Boys Next Door, 1985. Hollywood Vice Squad, 1986. After this, Wayne's World, 1992. The Little Rascals, in 1994. Black Sheep, in 1996. And Decline of Western Civilization, 3, in 1998. That before and after is just whiplash, let me tell you. Except... Um, I, I saw Black Sheep a bunch as a kid. I have not seen it in years. Michelle, you rewatched it and liked it kind of, right? Like, it, did it hold up okay? Like, I I have affection for Chris Farley as a performer. I think that mm. at the high points in the movie, those two are really vibing. She and David Spade famously did not. Um, uh, there is also a musical performance in it. Mud Honey show up. Mm-hmm. Mud Honey is in Black Sheep. I've never seen this movie. <laughs> yeah. They go to rock the boat. It's uh, probably the most memorable scene in the movie. Uh, yes. I... What Chris Farley does on stage. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that one is... I mean, it's so interesting that she was like... She just straight up told Davis Spade. She's like, I don't think you're funny, so I don't want you to be in the movie as much as possible. And then two years later, she's like, you want to be in Senseless? I mean, which I don't know if she asked. Which but, I watched know. this research, and my goodness, that movie is like... One where I'm like, wow, this is... Uh, where are you, Spiris? <laughs> I have not seen that one. Yeah, You're I fine. haven't seen that. I haven't seen the Beverly Hillbillies. I haven't seen the Little Rascals. But I've read plenty of inter- interviews where she's like, I was a great filmmaker until I sold out. And I'm just like, oh, shit. <laughs> there you go, man. Yeah. At least she's, she's honest about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, she made Wayne's World. I mean. Which also holds up. We'll rewatch yeah. that last night. Um, yeah, it kicks ass. Tons of lines I forgot about that are so goddamn funny. <laughs> I've n- never seen you be so nuts over a girl. Are you going to marry her? Garth, marriage is punishment for shoplifting in some countries. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> also, just very interesting to... You were talking about the order of 
in which she made movies. I mean, I do think it's interesting that Decline, I, I did a catch up with a bunch of her movies this week and Decline Part 1 and Suburbia very much feel like a pair in terms of like where she wanted to go in terms of making a fictional film about like the subjects of the first documentary and boys next door leading into this also feels very thematically appropriate in terms of like what her interests were in terms of like depicting something fictionally and then going to documentary. So, right. And before this Hollywood vice squad, which I didn't get to watch when I probably will, it's pretty much like an eighties version of hardcore basically, but it's also mm. ho- Hollywood, the, the strip, the LA strip, which a lot of this takes place on. So it's just, very interesting. I'm not sure the parallels between Wayne's World and Little Rascals, but I'll get back to you on that. Um, <laughs> although it's funny, like, you know, I, I haven't seen Little Rascals probably in like over 20 years. 25 years probably. Uh, but it is, um, it is funny that like, you know, suburbia, like suburbia, I mean, that movie is like really dark and everything, but like it is, a theory, it's like, well, it is about like a bunch of like misfit kids and everything. One would think that maybe that will like, it's like, I guess that would fit to a movie about misfit kids with Little Rascals, but like, Obviously, like if you did if you did suburbia for kids, it would be super fucked up. It would not work. That would be insanely <laughs> fucked up. That'd be like when John Waters had little kids uh, read the script of Pink Flamingos. <laughs> It'd be like, uh, yeah, yeah, Boys Next Door. That was that was a wild one. That's a good one. Yeah, it I it it, it has uh, an unintentional. Um, type of uh, fourth wall breaking power by the casting of Charlie Sheen, who we now know, you know, has done some pretty awful things and uh, but hadn't at the time yet. And then considering the character he's playing in that movie and what we now know of him, just uh, definitely <laughs> chilling, uh, to say the least. <laughs> and, uh, the the writer, uh, I think like before I saw the movie, I read like something on Letterboxd. Uh, John Stanley wrote like how it also has like an extra layer. It almost has like a Badlands sort of feel, which like it, it informed by like, you know, Charlie Sheen being Martin Sheen's son and everything. And like, yes. you know, it's, yeah, two movies yeah. about like people who Abs- were spree killers. Um, yeah, absolutely. A, a Badlands where one of them's in love with the other and they're awful. And uh, one it's just, well, I shouldn't say, yeah, I don't want to get too far into the boys in the ba- uh, next door for those who haven't seen it. But yeah, uh, it's very it, good. It's, it, it's on it's, Tubi, I believe, in Canada. Yeah. So it's right there to watch. Uh, also yeah. a tough watch, even tougher than Suburbia. 100%. And this, I would argue, even though this is a documentary, <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, no, it's, it, I, I warned you, you and Kevin in our group, in our own group chat about like how, like it is like, it does have some very upsetting scenes of violence. So people yes. should know about that. Um, but yeah, that's also a new world picture for a mini major. There we go. Hey. Mm. Yeah. Um, trivia. The footage of London was f- the band London. The footage of London was filmed in director Penelope Spheris's garage, as the members of London did not have homes at the time the movie was filmed. The hot tub Odin was filmed in belonged to Spheris as well. Likewise, the footage of Aerosmith and Ozzy Osbourne was filmed in a producer's house, and the Chris Holmes pool scene was also shot at the producer's house. In a 1999 interview, Penelope Spheres confessed that the Ozzy Osbourne orange juice pouring scene was faked, as some viewers suspected. The particular scene was of the orange juice missing the glass, filmed at a different time, and inserted into the clip. She said in the commentary that, like, he went into, like, the next room, and they started filming him, and she was just, like, got some, like, grip, and was just like, just pour the orange juice really badly, and I'll shoot it. It is really funny. funny. It's it's not a good insert, either. Um, according to uh, uh, Spheris on the commentary, the scene where Chris Holmes pours a vodka bottle down his throat is actually just pool water, not actually vodka. Um, so there's that. 
She said, that amount of vodka, if it were real, would kill somebody. Yeah, I was thinking that. <laughs> but it's still a deeply seems, upsetting scene. Yeah, <laughs> he still seems pretty, pretty not Yeah, okay. she said in the commentary, he was like, he was drunk. Don't, don't believe me. She, yeah, but. yeah. Not to mention his mother is just sitting next to him, like, pretty speechless the entire time. Just, yeah. you know. <laughs> Sphere said she got, like, a tape of that scene and was and showed it to both of them to be like, are you okay with putting in this scene? And they're like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. And I was like, oh, boy. Let's see. We talked about the Guns N' Roses thing already. Um, it has been suspected, most notably in the VH1 documentary series Heavy, the Story of Metal, that this film particularly brought an end to glam metal slash hair metal. Well, there's the answer to my question. And the subsequent rise of alternative thrash metal and grunge during the next decade. The suggestion in the documentary is that fans, appalled by the scenes of excess, excited it was time to move on. A similar claim was made by Dave Mustaine in his autobiography in the, the book Hellbent for Leather by Seb Hunter. I am buying any book called hellbent for leather let me tell you it's funny and one of the things i remember taking away from my documentary class that i took in college was documentaries are typically a call to action and this film as a call to action to end this movement uh success i would say this uh certainly did its job uh because good lord we'll get into it but uh a whole bunch of yikes from the footage here so yeah though i wonder how much of it was actually nirvana or even like the slightly harder turn of Guns N' Roses and more of it was just time because uh, this feels like it could only have happened in the 80s. Like it -hmm. turning into 1990, 1991, like feels like the the expiration date has hit. Yeah, and was Bleach 1989? Yes. Yeah, okay. So that was kind of a signaling turning point. Obviously there are other bands... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and obviously there are other grunge bands apart from Nirvana, of course, but definitely and you know, Nevermind was the one that was the biggest, you know, game changer for them in 91, but definitely a a, a harbinger of what was to or not harbinger, that has a negative connotation, but you know what I mean. Yes. <laughs> well, cuz wasn't wasn't Bleach like that was one that like didn't really make a dent until Nevermind, and then people went back to it, that type of thing? I'm not an expert. So. It definitely got bigger on on the second go-around. I mean, I, I know there probably people noticed it at the time, but not, not to the degree that obviously Nevermind, like... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just think of the footage in the um, Kurt Cobain montage of Heck where the mom's being interviewed and she said that she was horrified when she listened to Nevermind for the first time and told and she said, and I told Kurt, you are not ready for this. So, yeah. I, that documentary is a fun set. Oh, let me tell boy. You. <laughs> yeah. I should watch it. It's good. It's like, it's like three hours long, but boy, howdy. Oh, wow. it's, it's good shit. Yeah. A couple things, uh, if, I, if I may if I just toss in a couple things. Um, uh, some interesting overlap with some New line subjects. Hell yeah. We don't hear his music in the movie, but Lemmy from Motorhead, you know, he's he's interviewed in this movie, and uh, lo- his uh, Motorhead song "Locomotive" is in Phenomena, which we covered earlier in the miniseries. Uh, there right. is a, there is a Motorhead song in the movie. It's in the opening credits. Oh, I could put. That's right. You know what? Yeah. yeah. Thank you for it's, the it's, it's one of the few good songs in the movie. <laughs> I appreciate it, Michelle. I, 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 I think my memory of it had faded. It, 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 thank you for pointing that out. I appreciate the correction. Oh um, no, it gets me ready for for a great soundtrack that does not come. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I guess. Well, another thing that I have is I forgot. Um, while I was listening to the commentaries, that yeah, it was produced by Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris, who went on to do huge music videos and then you know little miss sunshine and such and Mm -hmm. they were kind of the ones that like fierce wanted to do like 
underground metal and they were just like well we could get like Aerosmith and she's like no you can't and they did and she was like we could get like this band she's like no with like this is a tiny thing and they they definitely opened it up a lot more so yeah that was very interesting to have them on there very very early on I forget what other stuff they produced but I definitely remember the first thing they do is the Tonight Tonight music video so it was interesting to see this it's a good video trip to the moon Alice Cooper, Aerosmith, Kiss. This movie is about groups, metal, guitars, girls. Ozzy Osbourne and Poison, the megastars and the rising stars of metal. I'm going to be a rock star. So I want to be a rock star. I'm going to be a rock star. To be a rock and roll star is the greatest thing in the world. Then you've got things like divorces, management ripoffs. Fatigue, drugs, rock and roll. Why do they do it? I'm in it for the money. (laughs) (laughs) A headbanger is someone that drives by in their car and goes, Melody! How do they make a living? Um, I'm a professional musician. I don't work. I can't stand work. We don't work. This is, we play music. We are not role models for your life. And why do they get all the girls? Because they have good music and they're good looking. And what about the groupies? I like to call them the fleas and ticks of rock and roll. But what do they really want to be? I would say happy. I'm a happy camper. The Decline of Western Civilization, part two. The Metal Years. Better than sex, better than anything in the world you could ever do. Uh, initial th- thoughts. Anybody's first time seeing this? Mine. Brian, go ahead. Okay. Uh, I liked this uh, quite a bit. Um, it's interesting how one thing that, I, that stuck out to me was um, you definitely hear Spheris talk, uh, like asking questions in like the first Decline movie, but like I feel like she is just sort of, like a little, a little more sitting, a little more willing to sit back and just sort of like observe her subjects and everything and let them sort of speak for themselves. And she does a lot of that here, but I also found like there is a lot of comedy in this movie and how she does insert herself in interviews, like the questions that she does ask or the way that she react, you hear her react to certain people's answers, I thought were really funny. Just before we go on the call, I was uh, talking to Charlie about how it's really funny when you know she's talking to Stephen Tyler from Aerosmith about and like he's uh he's saying like how he does a party quite as hard as he used to anything he says like it's like he compares it to like how like people are really into like masturbating when they're younger and everything and like they cool into like a a a steadier rhythm as they as they get older and everything and like when he's done like this rambling anecdote uh, she's just like okay uh next question (laughs) Uh, yeah he says something along the lines of like i just think you could really fuck to aerosmith or something it's like the most like gross smug thing you could possibly say and it's just yeah yeah Um, it's a very stephen tyler thing to say oh certainly yeah so i i I liked i thought that was really interesting and like you do get like some really funny uh like i think her cutting is is really sharp in like both these movies and everything like sort of like the Especially, like, as both movies start, like, you get, like, these really kind of hard edits and everything where, like, people are talking about the music and everything. You get, like, these sort of, like, half set of, like, second long, like, flashes of, like, really, like, loud music and everything. It really does sort of, like, convey, like, this sort of jolt that this music does give to some people. Uh, but whether it's punk or heavy metal. I think, I, I think like, really good use of montage showing how, like, a lot of these acts, like, really do seem to sort of blend together and, like, not being very original. And I think, like, we talked, I think, about, like, the, the names of, like, all the bands that are trying to make it and everything and how they all sound, like, so generic or so shitty and everything. And, like, you know, how, like, a lot of people do have, like, kind of the same sort of, like, shallow inspirations of, like, you know, wanting money or fame or sex. And also how, like, a lot of them have bought into, bought into like, the American dream of, like, well, just perseverance. Like, you know, if you just try really hard, you'll get it. And it's like, well... 
don't know if that's entirely true, but like, um, you know, sort of towing a line between affection, sort of like poking fun at the subjects a lot of the time, but also like having like some sympathy for it. And I think I think Spheris gets like a lot of good answers from her subjects by sitting back, but also like willing to like, you know, sort of probe them on certain things. And I think she gets, even though the answers aren't always the most insightful, you do get the sense that like, with with the first decline movie, you know, like there uh, one interesting technique in the first movie is how like you do get like a uh, occasionally like uh sort of captions for the songs that people are singing, like of the lyrics, because sometimes it is like hard to hear like what the lyrics are, and I think it's like the lyrics that are being highlighted in that are like ones where like it is like you know pointing to like a care to a singer having like real emotional turmoil that they're expressing in their music or like you know some sort of statement about the world that they're living in you know like it's like showing like oh there is like you know merit to this or anything uh you don't really get that in this in this movie with any of the song because there really isn't anything to it even when like um what's the band that like lights the, the russian flag on stage and everything for the song winter kills that was london that was london yeah and like you think like uh-oh what what's the song the song kind of song content gonna be and it's just like you know hellbound snowbound <laughs> it's just like it's it, it, it means it's nonsense but you know you do get and you get the sense of like with some of these interviews though when she is like talking to her interview subjects it's like you know maybe they they do have this something on their minds and they're just like they don't really know how to express it or like they're not being like they're not exactly um an environment where they're being uh where that's that kind of expression is uh fostered you know it's like you know sort of what can you do to sort of make money and everything and be commercial and everything because there's the moment when she's talking to odin like uh, the the lead singer in the hot tub and she asks like oh do you like have like oh like do you like would you die for this would you like do you think this is like a dream worth dying for and he's like yeah he's like yeah it's like have you thought like about like killing yourself and he's like well i've like i've thought about it and i've come close and everything and then like there is i i think she asked him like a second time and everything and like she's asking like the question about like is this dream worth dying for or worth killing yourself for and you see him like that singer start to like speak and everything but then like in the same shot like in the background one of his other you know bandmates makes some sort of like you know glib crack about it and everything and like everyone just sort of like talks over him and everything and it's i don't know it is like kind of like a moment where like you it, you, you do get like this sympathy and like for for these subjects and everything whereas and then like there are other points where she's like clearly dunking on them and it is very funny like uh, when um uh when london is like talking about like yeah i don't know what go-. it's like like they talk about how much money they're how much in, they're in debt and everything and like spheres is like how are you that deep in debt and it's like yeah it's just like you know our manager like dicked us over and like you know it's just like other things and then like the camera sort of pans down and zooms in on like this you know very extravagant jewelry that like one of the band members is wearing it's like hmm i think like that seems to be the point that she's making with like the camera roof and i just think that's uh, I, I think her approach is very cutting and everything, but she also, like, does, like, allow a lot of room for, like, you know, many people, like, to express themselves, like, about this medium. Like, you know, like, about people who are, like, saying, like, yeah, like, they like the music and everything. And sometimes, like, it's people who do have, like, very crude viewpoints or anything of, like, you know, wanting to, like, meet girls and stuff like that. Not that like, that's a bad thing, but, like, the, the way they speak about, a lot, of, a lot of the way a lot of the guys speak about girls is, like, you know, very, very crass and everything. And then there are people who are, like, saying, yeah, I don't know, I just, I, I like the music and I like having fun. Like, you know, that's, that, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I, I think Spheris, like, does have sort of, like, the nuance to appreciate that. So, I don't know. I, 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 I liked, I liked this quite a bit. I, I, I know this is a, a lot of thoughts and I'm not sure they, they quite gel, but, um, luckily Spheris' thoughts in the movie, I think, gel quite quite co- coherently everybody's opinion on uh the, the 
the Paul Stanley scene where he's just the overhead shot on the bed. That's just the best shit ever. That's just fucking hilarious. <laughs> oh my God. Um, Michelle, initial thoughts. Yeah. I had seen this a couple of times before and was really, uh, it was a lot of fun revisiting it. I, I asked beforehand if any of you had much, uh, familiarity or, uh, enjoyment of hair metal and the, there was a collective, uh, response of, uh, <laughs> uh, <no. laughs> uh, I, I I don't uh, love much of it, but I did go through a phase when I was a teenager of investigating a lot of it. So I I know a a lot more of these bands than like I was like faster pussycat showed up on on, in the movie. I'm like, oh, yeah, them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But no, it was uh, it was fun revisiting it because, um, you know, it, it comes the middle in the decline trilogy and it deals with what on paper seems like the most frivolous of the scenes, uh, the least politically charged, the one that is really like, there's not a lot to it other than like yeah. what you see is what you get. It's, you know, partying, having a good time, uh, lots of girls, things like that. Maybe sometimes there's a suggestion of danger that is, very silly and that nobody buys you see a lot of that and you see a lot of these bands that are on one hand you've got these earlier influences in it like Aerosmith and Kiss who I've never cared for or Alice Cooper and Ozzy Osbourne who have lived through a little bit of this and have either come out the other end like a little you know a little banged up but all right or in the case of Lemmy, still like kind of living hard, or um, in the case of Kiss, they've never really uh, done any of the drug stuff. They're just living the most crass and absurd uh, version of uh, the rock star like sex lifestyle that one can imagine. And you're seeing it play out as they think they look really cool and they look like the biggest idiots in the world. <laughs> um, I'm sure they don't think so. Um, but then you get to see like one of the bigger bands of the period uh poison contrasted with these bands that are really not on their surface all that different or like that much shallower but you see them like having caught on on to something that is bigger than themselves and that they can't really like they're riding a wave that they don't even realize is is not going to last that much longer like we're i i this is being filmed in what 87? Yes. I believe so. I mean, yeah, it came out in 88. So August yeah. 1987 to February 1988. And yeah. Guns N' Roses like ha- are just getting big and there's starting to be a little bit of a turn in- toward like a heavier sound in metal music. Um Megadeth show up instead as this arbiter of where uh the tide is turning. It's it's become this haven for all of them whether they've made it or not at the end they are acting um, like it can last forever when there is a very limited time, like a a very limited amount of time left for them. The first decline came out in 81 and it's like, right. It's filmed at like the tail end of the Carter administration. This is filmed at the tail end of the Reagan administration. So I, yeah, I think an interesting connection between these movies is that um, at one where these kids seem to, recognize that there's not a lot of hope around them and that really all they can do is react outwardly and angrily. The second one is 
there's still a kind of attitude, a kind of anger in the music, but it's much more a, you know, I can power my way through it and and have a good time. And there's, in, in both cases, this sense that this is really the only haven that a lot of these kids have, uh, yeah. whether the music is good or not, whether the music has some kind of uncomfortable messages about women in it or not. And also it, it I, I love Spheris's ability to dive into how this scene can be welcoming to these kids and also be a just kind of outwardly predatory place, um, an outwardly uncomfortable place where she's just kind of letting all of them talk at length about the way they're trying to live their lives and and how they're how they're, what they're trying to build for themselves and some of them come out looking pretty dumb or pretty um crass uh pretty sexist uh but i feel like she hits a she walks a very interesting tightrope between audibly sounding a bit if not shocked, then disgusted. Well, yeah, not disapproving in in uh, her reactions, but still like gives them enough room to feel like they can just keep talking about themselves. Yeah, which like some people are not like, which like a lot of people who, uh, don't seem to be willing to do. I mean, there's the one woman who they we see periodically throughout the movie who's just like, uh, like when she's talking about when they're breaking down like the devil horn symbol oh, or anything. that woman mm-hmm. rolls. It's so funny saying like, <laughs> well, the two fingers down, that's like rejecting like the whole holy trinity. I'm like, come on, get the fuck out of here with this. <laughs> Isn't she also holding like an Iron Maiden deck of cards or something? Which, no, it's like a, it's like an Aussie cassette, which yeah. said they, they just like gave it to her to be like, yeah, here you go. Do you want to? You want to show off on that. Because yeah. as, as someone who's not as nearly familiar with Iron Maiden, Iron Maiden is like, that's not hair rock or glam rock, but that's like yeah. hard rock that was around that time, which I thought was interesting that they even had that in the in, in the film. Because um, I, I, I feel like... They... I feel for that kind of uh, parent or what, what conservative activist, whatever exactly she is, um... <laughs> it all kind of runs together for them. I was about to say, yeah, it's yeah. just loud. It it it's loud, so yeah, it's it's got to be what we're what we're rallying against, right? And it's like, no, this is this is in the seventies, ma'am. But uh, sure. <laughs> yeah, talking about like taking uh taking like like the talk about taking the ly- lyrics literally, not to like get on too much on too much of a tangent, but like I did watch his research, like even though again Judas Priest, I think it sounds like. From what I like, I've heard is like maybe sort of a separate tier of metal, and I think there was like the the court case where like people were like taking them to task over like kids taking violent action against themselves, like as a to, to put it in a in a weird way, um, uh, as a, and like we were saying, well, there's like the music that made them do it. And it's like no, like it's I mean it's it's present in like a lot of these a lot of these serious movies where it's like people saying like well it's this loud music and these weird clothes are making these kids the kids act this way. It's like maybe not like looking at like stuff that's like maybe reaching back a little bit earlier or like you know the places that they're going to like what their their environment that they're growing up in like maybe there's something that's not being talked about i mean in this movie there's like the one kid says like yeah i'm re- I'm rebellious and it's like whoa why are you rebellious 12 years of catholic school it's like yep there you go <laughs> and it's <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. um and i like michelle that you brought up the point about how like it is like kids having um I, it's interesting like you mentioned like this sort of uh contrast between the kids who like have in this movie who have like you know the outlet of music as like a way to perform and like you know and like let these express themselves uh when they have like these feelings of turmoil or just like wanting to like all this excess energy and everything and, like kids who maybe don't have like who aren't maybe 
quite able to hack it and everything, even though they do have like the same feelings. I feel like you do get sort of that similar contrast, even though it's maybe not quite explicitly commented on in uh, Suburbia, where you get the scenes where it is like them throughout the movie, they, the kids who are like are just sort of like angry at the world and everything, and, like, you know, rebelling against everything. Uh, they don't really have anything to channel that into, but they keep going to all these rock shows where it is people who are like able to, who are like having you know an outlet where people are able to listen to them a little bit more or like a, trying to make the people listen to them a little bit more through their music and everything like talking about like you know all the stuff that they're dealing with i don't know i just think that's like i don't know it's interesting to like watching these furious movies like in all these threads that sort of like run throughout all of them and it's really does make you appre- make one appreciate like her skills as a as a filmmaker like in this in this era yeah and and her ability to capture a very specific time and place yeah yeah as time capsules they certainly i think watching this for the first time in 2024 i think uh it would have been fascinating to see this when it came out and then like listen to what the conversation was around that time before we knew what different you know subcultures would then take precedent as the years go on but i think it is kind of a film for me that actually being removed from this time period, and admittedly, as someone who was not even alive during this time period, uh, it, it 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 actually only strengthens the quality of the movie over time. Yeah, I would say, as far as my uh, involvement with uh, this type of metal, this is not my type of metal. But Spheris did do a documentary about my type of metal in two thousand and one called "We Sold Our Souls for Rock and Roll," which is about her covering the Ozfest. So I'm here for Spheris talking to like Slipknot and whatnot, but not so much, you know. Megadeth, but the funny thing about that is that that thing was like I've seen it, you can barely watch it but it never got past film festivals I think, but like within the past few months I think it screened at the Academy Museum, like so maybe it's coming out, I know it's a lot of music rights issues, but that one's pretty interesting, but uh yeah, this is my second time watching this this movie fucking kicks ass and um I don't know. It's very interesting listening to the commentary about about this movie, which was done, I think, in 2015. She seems to, I mean, if you watch it, I mean, 1000%, it seems like she has like nothing but contempt for most of these people. But in the commentary, maybe it's throughout the years, but she just like thinks about this time so lovingly while the lead singer of London that's with her is just like, yeah, I don't miss this time. <laughs> like, yeah. but, and, and then she also brings up that Ozfest documentary. She was like, after that point, I was like, I'm, I've done all I've, could do about documenting music like once i've done that it's like what else is there but yeah this is fantastic even if like brian you were saying just like i don't really care about any of this music i like aerosmith but they're not i like a couple they're like i I should be clear i didn't like any of the songs that are featured in this movie i like some of the i like some songs i've heard by some of this like we were talking about megadeth in our group chat i don't really know either music but i like peace cells like i've listened to that's the one i got from like the vh1s greatest hard rock songs of all time which is hosted by brett michaels which i watched a bunch yeah. as a kid um, oh yeah 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 notably poison at this point is too big to actually have any music featured uh in the movie damn yeah, yeah that's true uh ditto aerosmith and kiss like there was no way they were gonna get the rights to any of their songs even if they could get them interviewed yeah yeah um so yeah even i mean i'm always interested and in, i I do love metal music and just loud, abrasive, confrontational music, but this type of metal, there's like this, and then there's like the very, like, death metal that kind of turns me off, where I'm just like there, I'm really trying to get into this, but there's just, 
like you were saying, Brian, I was just like, I listen to one song and I'm just like, well, why don't I just listen to like Sweet Child of Mine, which is a song I don't even like to begin with. But it's like, it feels like everything's like a copy of a copy, like which, I mean, every music movement does that where it's just like, yeah, you listen to most grunge around the time that's not like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and a few other bands. It's just like, yeah, this just feels like a lot of copies, but I, it's, it's like a lot of copies of the authentic music that I, or like the initial music that I don't even like to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, entirely, amazingly interesting. I don't think we give enough credit to Spheris for really spearheading like music documentaries because she was saying that like through the first decline and then to this one in between their MTV launched and people were just like, oh man, can't believe you like ripped off MTV. She was like, no, I gave them the blueprint. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and yeah, like I think it does suck that like the last like 30 years of her career have just been like studio fair and whatnot. I mean, people do have a lot of love for this entire trilogy, but it's just like, she is a fucking spearheader. Like, 1000%. Like, a spearheader, you could say. Oh, boy. <laughs> I do love the stories just reading about how her daughter was the one who encouraged her to, you know, completely go back and uh, remaster these um, stories about how these films. Or, you know, she'd be like, well, no one will show up for these. And then they would just sell out at rep screenings. I mean, it's it's pretty incredible. Yeah. Which her daughter worked on it with her. Yes. And it's weird that she says that because, like, during the thing that we were talking about, like, the lead singer of London, he was saying that, like, oh, yeah, on one of the VHSs I'm on the cover. She's like, no, you're not. She was like, that was a bootleg you got. It was just like all the movies, especially the third one, which never got released officially until, like, 2015, were just endlessly bootlegged to the point like she has to know like how big of a thing of it are and if you listen to the commentary she's one she's just awesome i wish that i could hang out with her she, mm-hmm. she seems so cool mm-hmm. um doesn't seem like she's like oh i'm i'm past the 80s not she seems like a still like a dope metal chick <laughs> like is <laughs> is uh, uh terrible as that is to say um <laughs> but she just seems so awesome and i wish we could have got like some more stuff from her even though we do get like this incredible trilogy that really showcases so much about music even if it's through the culture themselves or the people in the band like in the second one or just the just the decline of like popular punk music in the first one it's i don't know it's really something that's really fantastic that we don't get anywhere where it's just literally like if somebody was just like what was punk music like in the 70s it's just like oh you watch this like nowadays it would be like um I watched the documentary. I didn't know that I had seen it before when it came out, but it was called Metal a Headbanger's Journey. They came out like 05 or 06. Mm-hmm. I didn't know until like the first five minutes. I was like, oh, I've seen this. And <laughs> it's perfectly fine. But I mean, it's varied by the numbers where it's just like, and then in the 1980s, this is what happened. And it's just like nothing bad about that. But it's like, that's the kind of thing we get. Like, I don't see anybody watching that and be like, oh, I understand heavy metal music. If you watch this documentary, you will understand hair metal. Like in the types of ideas that they have the way that they presented themselves either either or if it was staged or not it's just like you're gonna get it one way or another and you do get some music to go along with it but it's not a very paint by the numbers like and then after that this happened after that this happened it's just like the entire culture on display for like 90 minutes and it's the best way to to showcase that and i find it very interesting that she was saying like through all of her movies she's in the editing room dictating like every single cut and you could you can tell that it's just like everything is just very meticulous. And she was saying that, um, cause they were talking about like, yeah, they talk about sex and rock and roll and all that stuff. But there's not a lot of drug talk besides like Aerosmith. She was like, 
yeah, my thing is I probably cut that out because mm-hmm. I didn't want people to hear about that. Now, like with Aerosmith, they talk about getting over drugs, but yeah, there's yeah. like, it seems like it's just like excess of drinking, but n- they really don't talk about drugs besides Aerosmith. But yeah, fantastic documentary. It's funny. That was also my assumption for why Guns N' Roses did not end up in the movie, that their managers knew what they were like and were like, not a fucking chance are we going to let you get filmed by these people. <laughs> right. She's, she, yeah, she said in the commentary that it's just like that she brought like the manager in and was just like, yeah, we're going to do this. And they were like, oh, yeah, it sounds great. And then he left. And then they contacted him again, like, so y'all, when are, when are we going to get that set up? And they're like, oh, they're not doing that. <laughs> like, <laughs> just completely turned with, like, no explanation. But yeah, I could I could totally see that. Is there a reason why Motley Crue isn't in this movie? Because they're another one that I'd consider I, pretty... Yeah, I think they were probably too big at that point. I also yeah. wonder if they were recording at the time, maybe. I don't know. Uh, wait, but it's interesting you mentioned that, because, like, is it one of the bands... I, apologies i watched this movie today but like some of these bands do blur together but one of the bands does talk about how like i think one of them didn't they play with like one of the bands talk about how they play with nikki six from motley crew like there was like a few people yeah sort of yeah, yeah uh london they mentioned that several of their members went on to become members of either guns and roses or motley crew or uh cinderella or wasp yeah yeah where's cinderella at come on now i i imagine that they that Penelope Spears decided to get one LA-based band, or I guess I think Poison actually might have come from somewhere else, but one ba- one of one bigger band along with the uh, several smaller groups. You were correct about Poison from being they're from Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, interesting. Oh man! Does anyone remember when Vince Neil from Motley Crue tried to start his own aviation line? <laughs> what? Hey, yeah. What? Um, <laughs> I remember it was through the. Um, it's. I mean, the AV Club is a completely different animal now in terrible ways. But I remember it was a a side podcast they had called the hate cast where they covered this story. And I remember, I think it was Amelie Gillette or her guest was like, I would like to imagine that Vince Neil's aviation line is that they play Motley Crue music loudly, but outside as it's flying <laughs> through the air. So the only people who can hear it is when it takes off. And that's it. Just imagine trying to get to sleep. It's like three in the morning and fucking, fucking yeah. Dr. Feelgood yeah. airlines fucking yeah. drops down. And all you hear is yeah. fucking girls, girls, girls. And you're like, I'm trying to sleep. Yeah, and then they were like, and the, I remember some other jokes. They were like, yeah, they don't provide you meals. They just give you like a half empty bottle of Jack Daniels with a couple of cigarette butts in it. Like, <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Every every time every time they start to land, home sweet home starts up. <laughs> the other thing they did mention is like when they play the music loudly outside, every time they take off, it has to take off to like a <laughs> like type of like, <laughs> like a screech oh, guitar. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other funny thing in this movie. Not just like like the cuts and everything, but the sound effects that punctuate like oh, various. Yeah. like oh Ow. god, or like, yeah. Yeah. like <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> And the freeze frames yeah. too, when like people just sort of like will trail off like mid sentence or whatever, and it's like saying like, "Do you have any problems with this?" Nah, and then it will like it'll, like freeze frame, and they're just sort of slack jaw expression, and like we're like a guitar. Yeah. Like, nah. <laughs> well, well, I guess that it, if I could get into my initial thoughts, what I kind of yeah. love about this is like she, what I, I, I you know, especially after like taking a class in college, just I've been trying to be more alert about how documentaries present themselves as factual, but obviously like every film, you know, it's all about how you edit it, how you sequence it. It, Documentaries are biased no matter what. I love in these movies that Penelope Spheris just gives 
all of her subjects enough time to depict them. You know, she just lets the camera roll and lets them talk as without guiding a conversation, really. I mean, she asks a few questions, but she's never like she's never like trying to get a specific answer out of them. And what I um, loved about the first film is that which covers, you know, the hardcore punk scene. Like, I, I think it's such an interesting contrast when you look at the first two movies and I, I watched the third and love it too but the first two are particularly about music and the first one I understand and maybe this is just me personally and where I stand you know in terms of like what I look for politically out of a film now but like I can understand the angst and the energy and the pent-up rage and not knowing where to put it with the hardcore punk scene where even if it is um like especially with Black Flag and all their politics and then it's interesting how I think it immediately switches to germ where germ is far messier and you find out they're kind of they've kind of racist and homophobic and stuff like that but you still understand or they have those tendencies to have those ideologies especially when it comes to the story about how they took photos with a dead painter outside and they use some horrible slurs and whatnot but you can understand that their rage towards society and feeling like misfits and outcasts and not finding a place kind of makes sense. This film, as someone who does not know much about hair metal, I feel like just the superficiality of the genre, even with the, and please stop me if I'm saying anything that's off, that's like off base or anything like that, or even considered misguided. But like, I just find it so interesting that this is a genre that, you know, glam metal and hair metal, like it's, it's also very much about presenting a more feminine side, but the the conservatism and the heteronormativity of these, this genre is pretty repugnant i mean like you know like it's just they don't even fully understand i feel like there's a whole segment a good 10 15 minutes of this where she's trying to understand where why people dress like this and everybody has a contradicting answer nobody can really understand why at one point they have like somebody has some biphobic comments that are just kind of like you know, like, oh, it's mainly for, you know, women to get off because it's about, you know, pr- making bisexual women happy so, like, they can get off with well, us. It's, it's like, those type group of, of two girls that are just uh, like, you know, when, no matter what women say, they always want to make out with other women. They're like, uh, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I feel like punk, um, and our friend um, Brad Avery posted this on his Letterboxd review, like, punk comes from a very left-wing, like, type of thing, and this type of movement is just so <laughs> concerned, like, Michelle's doing a because eh, well, like, you see the Nazi shit in like the first movie and everything. Yeah, there, like, there's also like a lot of a lot of punk stuff that is kind of just inarticulate uh, anger and angst uh, expressed yeah. outward. Um, yeah. I guess the ones that stand the test of time, though, usually come from or the ones that are looked on most fondly, kind of at least for my. And I'm no expert on the genre, but that's just kind of what I've understood. Genre. Not the Sex Pistols. Yeah, yeah. It would definitely yeah. Very, very, very yeah. good point. It very would good definitely point. vary. Like it's interesting that they are rebelling against something, but it seems like even they don't really have a full sense of what it is sometimes. And on top of that, like they are picking directly the not just the 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 teenagers who are trying to be like all of their idols, but the bands themselves are taking directly in some cases not just from fans like Aerosmith and and Kiss, but like 
from glam rock bands. Like some of some of these uh, people have huge like love for either the New York Dolls or David Bowie or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's all of this music stripped of its actual queerness uh, outside of just yes. some broad visuals that are meant to play up a feminine side while still accentuating a kind of masculine uh you know sense of conquest it's it's it, it's a very strange kind of thing to watch I, I really have a hard time wrapping my brain around it frankly and i kept thinking about i weirdly rocky horror picture show which was over 10 years ago and how like but that embraces queerness and it's a completely different type of music on top of that but like they kind of look like those char- they're dressing up like characters from those movies and then the the the, the you know like just the sheer um, superficiality of and and it, of it all, and just I, but after a while, I think she structures the film so brilliantly too that by the time we get to Wasp and the scene that we've talked about with his, you know, where he's sitting by the pool with the um, giant bottle of booze that turns out to be water, but with his mom there, it there's like I feel like that's kind of structured and edited to the like the. The, the climactic mark of like, oh, this is like deeply sad in some cases. Like these people don't even like fully understand. Like they the, these people now have like, you know, serious addiction issues. They don't know what they're really representing or standing for. I mean, every she she asks him so many questions and he basically is just like, I'm a full blown alcoholic. I'm a professional gynecologist or I don't know if it's him who says that or somebody else. And it's just like nothing is of substance at all all it's just about this rock star life and it honestly much different type of film but i felt the same way that i felt watching the wolf of wall street with this where i just felt like i was laughing at the pure depravity and just the 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 the, the unhinged just the, the um the the magnitude and then just the, the never ending kind of just uh filth of it all <laughs> you know like it's it, and and kind of laughing at these people but then by the time you get to that that interview with wasp you're kind of like oh there's like a darker undercurrent of sadness going on that like this music is not fully exploring or even conveying really it's not really getting to the heart of anything it's just one big long party that went on for too long even for a brief period of time that this you know because glam metal it doesn't really have you know it doesn't really have legs in 2024 it, i hope yeah. what i'm saying is coherent yeah <laughs> there's this weird thing where a lot of these people end up having more pathos in the long run in the in just the reality of their lives being more complicated than the music that they end yes up yes and the mom doesn't say a word. The wasps. I'm, I'm sorry. What's his name? I'm so sorry. Chris I keep calling Holmes. The He's the. I. I want to say the guitarist from Wasp. Yeah, like just his, the shots of his mom just not saying anything. And there's even moments where it was like she didn't want me to do this, did she? And it was just kind of close-ups of her like kind of staring at the ground. And it just kind of like I. I and you know, like I feel like Penelope Spheres isn't even aiming to make fun of these people or even stump them and try and point out how kind of hollow this is but she does ask questions where they just completely just fall flat on their face in terms of like like oh i i I, why why do you do this oh i i i just don't want to work i despise work oh what's the last job you've had oh i've never had a job 
And it's just like, you know, but, like stuff like that where it's just, oh. And, and nevertheless, there's not that much difference between them, uh, the no-hopers, and some of the people who have made it who talk about how, yeah, I, I didn't want to do a job. Like Ozzy Osbourne talks about yeah. how like, yeah. he didn't want to work some dead-end job. Like, yeah. it, I, I'm pretty sure like most of them end up voicing something along those lines. Yeah, and that Judas Priest, the POV documentary I watched, uh, Dream Deceivers, uh, they, there's talking um, about how, like, one of the kids uh, in, in, who they talk about in the court case, like, how we worked, like, some job where he got, like, burned with acid or something like that. And, like, they cut to, like, Judas Priest, like, in the, like, the courtroom and everything. And then it cuts to Rob Halford going, like, yeah, you know, that just, like, unlocks some memory of me. How, like, when I was growing up in London, I would walk by, like, this factory and I could, like, taste, like, the metal in my mouth and everything from it. And it's, like, how, like... Like, where would I be if I, like, had, didn't have music and everything? Like, where would I be? Like, and it's, I don't know, kind of an interesting, like, sort of sympathy and everything. Like, how, like, it is, like, coming from, like, you know, where where would you... Be? And, again, like, what we were talking about, like, you know, what when you don't have, like, an outlet and everything for, like, this turmoil that you have or, like, the feel, the thoughts that you have and everything, like, where like do you, where, where does that leave you and everything? I mean, like, that's, like, present in suburbia and that's, like, present in, in this movie for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's really interesting. I will also say one other thing that, uh, just, like, as a running bit, it's interesting to see, too, like, uh, just, like, the interacting with, like, some of the musicians or things. Some of the audience... I think the audience reactions are really funny too in this, like um, where like you do um hear like some people like you see some people like really banging their heads, like crowd surfing, like you know jumping off the stage or anything. And then there are other people who it's like they're like getting trying to lead people in chances, just like not catching on and everything, or like you know when the guy tries to like light the, the Russian flag and it doesn't quite work and it's like shit, this is taking longer than I expected. And then like the the credit cookie at the end is um. When uh, they have that, uh, the Godfather of Rock at uh, the Gazari contest or whatever, and he's like saying, Where oh, is the, this, the person? And like someone just yells out, She's gone! <laughs> and then, like, and then he's like, And it's just like so pathetic, like how it's just like, This is like dying on the vine, like right before our eyes. It's, I don't know. I thought that was. The Gazari, the Gazari contest, I also just felt like such a pit in my stomach where, you know, you just get footage that's kind of dropped in the beginning, like breadcrumbs of like, it's kind of like a glam rock Miss America thing. And then at one point, they're just like, you know, they, you know, the host is like, we're looking for a Gazari dancer, not something like this, where one of the women starts, you know, going too far for his eyes. And then everybody starts booing and they're like, what? So you want to turn it into like a strip contest? And everyone kind of cheers on. And then it just completely devolves into objectifying women and nothing else. Yeah, and... the, yeah well, I mean, he's he's going on about how he still likes young Oh God! Yeah. He's yeah. very—he's a very creepy figure. I, what did he say? Like, I loved eighteen-year-old girls when I was eighteen, and now I'm sixty-something, and I love yeah. them even more. And you're just like, oh, yeah. I mean, like yeah. that is—that is kind of a running theme with this of of most of the rock stars, most of the men, regardless of age, being pretty openly skeevy about women. Uh, yeah, and it they, wasn't talked down about. Unfortunately, it was. I mean, it's a, this entire culture was celebrating it. So yes. it's it's to see it just plainly yeah. out there. I mean, yeah, yeah, and that's I think part of part of why it's. I'm glad that Spheris chose this is that you could find that with so many rock subcultures. I mean, it, it's not as if this wasn't true in the '70s, but 
it basically is the subject of of everything uh of of the glam metal era like it, it's all basically what they're singing about what they're singing about what they want yeah and 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 on top of that i one other thing i wanted to ask because this was in 1988 at one point Spheris directly asks aren't to one person aren't you afraid of getting aids and then it, he, they go oh i haven't really thought about that and I was wondering. I think that's where he says, no, I'm a gynecologist. No, 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 no. He says that I only go out with girls whose dads are gynecologists. So, uh, uh, which is, yeah. which, uh, try to, just, yeah, uh, think so, about that for five lot, seconds. Lot that's kind of weird. A lot more questions. <laughs> and then he's asked about um, uh, the possibility of pregnancy. And then he says, yeah, I, I don't really worry about I that. I don't really think about that either. Yeah. Which, yeah, just no consequences for any, 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 you know, it's all about, yeah. And they, and they don't think about, they, it, it, it's just so self-evident of thinking about sleeping with people and not treating them as people and then not even considering the after effects that are possible as a result of, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's bleak yeah. shit. I will say with that, if you would call it a beauty contest, um, the one woman who says is going to use her money because she's trying to get into actressing, that was pretty great. Yeah, <laughs> and then oh, I actress. also like that the one person gives a very practical answer saying like, yeah, I'd probably use like a thousand dollars for like a down payment on a car. I was like, that's a good plan. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. all right, cool, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Fears also did a documentary, kind of documentary. I mean, it was, it was kind of a musical documentary. I couldn't find it. I believe it was in 1990 called Thunder and Mud. <laughs> it was all about a mud wrestling contest where heavy metal people also performed at the same time, which is like, you take that, that section of this movie. It's just like, that's its own thing. I couldn't find it, but that one, she said it was a terrible experience and she was like, I don't even think I got paid. So what the fuck was that for? <laughs> uh, oh yeah. But yeah, Charlie, what you were saying is about, giving them either enough rope or just letting them talk. I mean, it's very much what we were talking about with Errol Morris with Mr. Death. Mm -hmm. That's where I get it, which Errol Morris had a lot, had, still going documentary-wise. I mean, she really, besides the OzFest one outside of this, doesn't do documentaries anymore, so I understand that. But, I mean, these three movies are just as influential as, like, Errol Morris's top ones, and... I wish it was celebrated as such, but... Yeah, we should talk about the biggest band that came out of it, which was, of course, Odin. 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 <laughs> Odin. Odin. Yeah. <laughs> I was curious, because I was looking up this, too, because that metal documentary I watched, it gets into the whole Twisted Sister, my man uh, D. Snyder, previous uh, subject of the pod, going to Supreme Court and talking about his lyrics and whatnot, but they broke up twisted sister broke up like right when this started filming wow so i feel like that's like a big group that could have been gettable i feel but that wasn't included but yeah that that's a very interesting like end point for this time is him going out and talking about his lyrics to the supreme court or whatever where it's just like what what is this what is the song under the knife that's gonna tell people to commit suicide or or kill people or whatever and he's just like that was about my band member going to the doctor to get surgery. <laughs> it was just like, uh, yeah. I mean, like, they're like, I mean, the Judas Priest case of like, you know, talk about court li music lyrics in court and everything. That's like a very, that was a very serious case. And I think, but I, that makes me think of the, um, I think I've shared before in our group chat, like the Abel Ferrara interview where he's talking about how like he couldn't have signifying rapper by school ED in bad Lieutenant because of the Led Zeppelin sample. And he said like, it was mm -hmm. so ridiculous having to go to court. He says like, uh, he says like, can you imagine this was down in a federal court in New York with a 70 year old judge and they're playing school ED and Led Zeppelin to this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, which one said that they couldn't hold on. What? Yeah. 
Michelle, are you aware of the article that was written in 2010 called, uh, from Rolling Stone titled Aerosmith Steven Tyler Serenades California Home Depot? <laughs> and this is how we end a pod. <laughs> That's... <laughs> I was not aware of that. Um, so apparently in 2010, uh, Steven Tyler just went into a Home Depot in California and started speaking over the loudspeaker system. <laughs> and, oh, uh, quote, according to TMZ, Tyler employed the Home Depot loudspeaker system, which is usually used for price checks or calls for assistance, to sing Aerosmith classics like Dude Looks Like a Lady and I Don't Want to Miss a Thing. I, as, I, I would quit my job. Yeah, if the story... Aerosmith over the fucking... Yeah. Absolutely not. I'm out of here. Yeah, as if we, you don't get my two weeks. I'm gone. As if the story couldn't get more shocking, Tyler also reportedly started taking hits off a helium tank and sang his karaoke with a chipmunk voice. Can you imagine just being in Home Depot, being on a cell phone with someone, being like, "Okay, honey, what paint did you want to get for the new bathroom?" Oh wait, uh, sorry. Can you repeat that? Steven Tyler singing into the loudspeaker for some reason, <laughs> like. <laughs> He's singing about toys in the attic. I'm trying to build a deck and he won't get out of the way. <laughs> there, there, yeah, there's also the front man also signed autographs for all those unsuspecting rock fans who initially just went to Home Depot to buy plywood and paint. <laughs> Right, but now that now that you've uh, now that you've all watched this, are you gonna go out and listen to some warrant? Some white lion? Some dangerous no. guys, some enough's enough. I if you make a playlist for us, Michelle, I will absolutely listen to it. <laughs> How about some danger danger or Britney Fox? <laughs> Who's to say I haven't already listened? You're a big Dawkins fan, are you? Dawkins I know we will talk about because they did the theme song for Nightmare on Elm Street 3. And so we will be the talking about the uh, for Judas Priest as featured in that uh short documentary uh Heavy Metal Parking Lot. That's like they're they're like oh, yeah, yeah they're yeah. like saying like how many of you are here to see Judas Priest? How many of you are here to see Dawkins? Uh yeah. It's just like three people they're like yeah, Dawkins. Yeah. How many of you are here to see Winger? <laughs> oh god. That's only Stewart from Beavis and Butthead that's here to see Winger. How many of you are here to see Striper? <laughs> Striper. So wow. many of these bands, I, I don't know a lot of their songs. All I know Warrant is Cherry Pie, but like a lot Cherry of Cherry Pie, yeah. A lot of them are bands that were featured on that 100 greatest hard rock songs countdown that I watched Goddamn as a right. kid. It's just so funny. I'm sure that aged well. One thing I will say that I did find to be interesting is I rewatched, I mentioned earlier in the episode, I did rewatch Wayne's World for the first time in like over Hell a decade, yeah. and I forgot. I remember the Alice Cooper cameo. What I didn't remember is that Alice Cooper actually comes off really well in that movie, and he is definitely one of the people who comes off best in this, along with Ozzy, as Michelle he's mentioned. A, he's a very, like, well-spoken guy. He seems I, pretty chill. I completely forgot that the whole joke is that Alice Cooper is, like, actually, like, pretty socialist in Wayne's world and I, just I, blows I them away. Well, he makes social... He, like, he makes points about socialism in that movie or whatever. Like, it's something along those lines. You know, I watch it pretty late last night but it was like he comes off really nice and uh kind of insightful which none of the other band members really do here so yeah. apart from ozzy ozzy's also the one who i think says during a montage where they're just like oh yeah all of our music's original just kind of cuts to ozzy after all that being like no we're all thieves everybody's a thief like shut up like <laughs> ozzy's best moment is after it cuts from the one lady saying that uh, he's letting in the devil she, um penelope spheres asks him are you really into the devil you're not really and he goes yes of course i am <laughs> Thank you.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Almost Major. Please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please follow the pod on Twitter at Almost Major to keep up to date with what movies we will be covering in the future. Myself, I can be found on Twitter and Letterbox at Kev Bonesy. Bryden can be found on Twitter at Bryden Doyle and on Letterbox at J Doyle. Charlie can be found on Twitter and Letterbox at CT Nash91. Once again, thank you for listening.